0: Sherlock Holmes in Wolves in Exile by Scott McQuaid Produced by Pop-Up Theatre In the early hours of May 7th, in our year 1945, representatives from the Allied High Command accepted the unconditional surrender of Nazi Germany, making the end of World War II in Europe. British Prime Minister Winston Churchill addressed the nation this morning from Downing Street.
1: My dear friends, this is our finest hour this is not a victory of any party or class it's a victory of the great british nation as a whole we may allow ourselves a brief period of rejoicing but let us not forget for a moment the toils and efforts that lie ahead
2: It was a day of celebration, a day proud to be British, and a day of history. As I walked through the streets of London, people rejoiced. Suddenly the pain, despair, worry and uncertainty had cleared like the black smoke over a bomb site. The German blitz bombing campaign had certainly taken its toll on London and the public would no doubt be reading endless news articles about rebuilding and restructuring the capital in the coming weeks. As I walked down Baker Street, I noticed a large green and black Rolls-Royce parked outside 221B. I suspected the car was somehow connected to my companion, Sherlock Holmes, as he had been absent from our address for the last four days. Inspector Lestrade had taken him away on a case. I, at the time, was feeling under the weather, so I was unable to assist my old friend. I'd no sooner reached the front door when... Dr Watson? I turned around and saw a familiar-looking face leaning out of the rear door window. I couldn't quite place where I had seen the gentleman before.
3: Yes? Good morning. Could I have a moment of your time, please?
2: Well, that depends.
3: What can I do for you? Please, step into the car, sir. It's a delicate matter. Shouldn't be discussed on the street.
2: My mother warned me about getting into cars with strangers. Ah,
3: it's all right. I'm with Scotland Yard.
2: In that moment, it suddenly clicked. His face, the extravagant car. I was talking to Detective Walter Thompson, Director of Intelligence at Scotland Yard, and more importantly, the personal bodyguard to one Mr Winston Churchill. I'd seen his face numerous times, be it on a newsreel or on a newsstand. Wherever Churchill was, he was close behind.
3: It's a matter of national security.
2: I see. Perhaps we should wait for my colleague, Mr Sherlock Holmes, after all. He's the consulting detective.
3: I'm afraid he won't be coming any time soon.
2: What do you mean?
3: Well, it's because of him that I'm here.
2: The moment I sat back into the soft leather seat of this luxurious Rolls-Royce, I realised whose car I was riding in. It was Winston Churchill's.
3: I am Walter Thompson. Yes, Churchill's bodyguard. Now the war's over, I'll be heading back to the yard. Mr Thompson, what's this all about? Three days ago, Mr Holmes was hired by the government for a secret mission. What kind of mission? Oh, I'm afraid that's classified, sir. Ah,
2: yes, of course it is.
3: What I can tell you is we haven't heard from him in the last 48 hours. And his handler was found dead.
2: His handler?
3: Yes, his contact in Germany. Sherlock's in Germany? Yes, maybe. That's what we need to find out. Pull over here, Cecil.
2: What are we doing at Aldwych Station?
3: Waiting for our contact.
2: Ah,
4: there he is. Morning, John.
2: Mycroft? Mycroft Holmes, the elder brother to Sherlock Holmes, by seven years. He works for the British government, but his exact position is unclear. Although I've heard Sherlock say that he is the government, the most indispensable man in the country. And like Sherlock, he has a brilliant brain. Apparently he serves as a sort of human computer. I hadn't seen him in years, not since the case of the Greek interpreter.
4: Thank you, Walter. I'll take it from here. Come along, John. Hurry up, or we'll miss our train. What? what? What train? What? What's going on? We're taking a little train ride, old boy. This way.
2: Mycroft led me through Aldrich station to a service door in an arch tucked away at the back of the building. Well, I, I was unaware of this tunnel.
4: Why would you be aware, John? Secret Service wouldn't be very secret if we went about advertising it. And the jerry started dropping the bombs on us, we had to improvise, so we dug deep. Actually, 20 feet deep.
2: Like the tunnels in Clapham South Station, to take shelter from the Blitz?
4: No. Those tunnels were designed for people. These tunnels are designed to store. That's why they're wider. Store? To store what? Artwork from the British Museum. After all, preserving history is a part of the British Empire, wouldn't you say? Uh, I suppose. Not to mention its very own personalised train line.
2: My word! An underground station beneath an underground station!
4: Come on then, John. Hop on. Oh, and, uh... Find the gap. This is extraordinary. Yes, Sherlock said you'd like it.
2: Mycroft, can you please tell me what's going on?
4: Mm, unfortunately, old chap, I can't. It's classified.
2: Yes, I've been told.
4: I'm sure Sherlock will fill you in when you find him.
2: When I find him?
4: <laughs> if anyone knows his methods, it's you. After all, you're the only family he has.
2: Mycroft, you're his brother.
4: Only by blood. You live with him. You work with him. You know him. And he respects nobody more than you. Come, John. This is us.
2: As the door swung open, sunlight blinded my vision momentarily. When my eyes did adjust, I found myself standing on
4: the runway
2: of a small airfield. Where on earth are we?
4: Biggin Hill Airfields. Hurry up, John. You do not want to miss your plane. My plane? Where the devil is she?
1: Talking about me, Mr Holmes?
4: Ah, Eileen. There you are. Eileen Niran was a British
2: spy. She was a radio operator in the Special Operations Executive Branch. Only 23 years old, she would be dropped by parachute into occupied France to relay messages from the French resistance. She even escaped a Nazi concentration camp.
1: Morning, Dr Watson. What a great day for Britain.
2: Yes, uh, very proud. Uh, Where are we going exactly?
1: Berlin. Here's your bag, and this package is for Mr. Sherlock Holmes.
4: My bag? Uh, but, but but, I... Uh... Ah, there's our captain. Is this it? Yes, I know she's a bit old and bent out of shape, but do you think you can fly? Make no difference
2: to me. Submarine tank, plane, car, bicycle,
4: they're all the same. That's the spirit, old man. This is Captain Sirius. He'll be your pilot for this mission.
2: Nice to meet you.
4: Is it? Yes, you'll get used to him. Now, John, listen. This is very important that you trust no one. The war in Europe may be over, but our soldiers will soon be preparing to aid the Americans in the Far East and the Pacific. The Japanese are absolutely relentless.
1: Have a safe flight, Dr. Watson.
2: Uh, Yes, but I I seriously don't think I... What's that, John? I said
4: I don't think I can do this! Good. As soon as you ride Sherlock, tell him to check in with HQ.
2: I sat shivering in the back of the aircraft carrier. It was cold, dirty, and the smell of oil fumes was making my head dizzy. The day had started so well with the announcement of VE Day, and it soon turned into nothing more than a memory when this cloak-and-dagger facade Sherlock had got himself mixed up with became the focus. It was, to say, extremely disturbing. I spent most of the flight pondering over what his mission could possibly be. When I arrived in Berlin, it was late afternoon. We had landed on a small field just outside the city centre. I was immediately approached by a tall man wearing a suit. Afternoon. You're earlier than expected. I wasn't aware I was to be expected. I'm Charles. Dr John Watson. They
1: only told me you were coming over in the last minute.
2: Well, yes, well, everything's been last minute for me. <laughs>
1: Yes, I'm sure. Do you have your mission papers? I'll need to see them. Then we can get to work. Just
2: then, a bearded old man appeared and started spouting German. I assumed he was a local farmer, probably complaining about the plane landing in his field.
4: Du kannst nicht hier landen. Give me a minute. Let me take care of this old man. We're getting yet.
2: The old farmer continued to waffle on. I could see that by... Charles was Speakable becoming understand. increasingly anxious. Get weg, Alterman. Losing his patience, Charles then rapidly approached the old man when.
0: <sharp inhale> the old man shot him. Never trust general impressions, my boy, but concentrate yourself upon details. The farmer removed his hat, followed by his beard. Sherlock? Hello, Watson. How was your flight? Uh, I... I... You... You just shot him. Well, at least your eyesight is still working, even if your wits are not. Sherlock immediately began rummaging through the clothes of his victim. I'm very disappointed in you, Watson. Couldn't you see he was a Nazi? No, he was British. He was my contact. Did Mycroft say you had a contact? Did he know your name, or did he introduce himself and you replied in kind?
2: Yes, but that doesn't mean... And
0: his accent. Really, Watson, what part of Britain could he possibly come from?
2: Well, I did think he was a bit muddled, but, you know, we have foreigners entering our country all the time. I still didn't think that's proof that he's
0: a Nazi. Maybe not, but the Nazi swastika tattoo on his chest probably kills your argument. But how could you possibly see that? The gravitational force of the wind projected from the plane's landing caused the clothing on the Gestapo to push back. That gust of wind tightened his white shirt, pushing onto his chest, making it transparent, thus revealing his swastika to two. I suspect he's an agent of the Abfir. Abfir? The German military intelligence service.
2: Oh, I see. Mycroft told me that you must contact H.Q., I assume he would. So are you?
0: Of course not.
2: (sighs) Why? Do you know that your handler
0: has been shot? Yes, I know. You do? Yes, I shot him. Why did you shoot him? Because, my dear Watson, he, like this chap, was a spy. There's obviously a mole inside British intelligence, so I'm not going to risk revealing any vital information that can be used against us. Remember, the war may be over for Britain, but the battle rages on across the pond. Now, is that your pilot? Yes, Captain Sirius. Let's hope he is. Come on. Where are we going now? Denmark.
2: Holmes and I had landed at a small airbase in Copenhagen. By the time we arrived, it was already getting dark. Denmark was liberated from German occupation just two days before VE Day. They were both welcoming and helpful, although I must admit their tea did not stand up to my British palate. For the past two hours, Holmes had been
0: studying the airfield's logbooks. Watson, do you have that package I asked Mycroft for? Uh yes. Um, here. Thank you. This is going to make this task a whole lot easier. I must admit to uh, being
2: somewhat intrigued by the package's contents. Ah,
0: perfect. Not a scratch on her. It's your pipe. Of course it is. What else would it be? Holmes, what are we doing here? We are looking for a plane.
1: Okay,
0: A plane that went where? Exactly. Ah, why do I bother? Indeed, I've asked myself that very question countless times. I I think I'll get another tea. Aha, Spain. Spain. That's where your plane went. No, the plane I was looking for returned to Berlin after it landed here in Denmark. I don't quite follow. You never do. See this logbook. SS pilot Peter Baumgard flew a small aircraft from Hornsollendam to here, Denmark on April 28th. He then returned immediately. So? So the contents he flew from Berlin continued from here on to Spain. The logbook notes an arrival from Berlin at 3am in the morning and then a departure of a separate aircraft from here to Spain at 3.04am. How do you know these contents were on the second plane? One aircraft lands at 3am while another is immediately standing by, only to leave 4 minutes later. It's obvious that the content shifted from one plane to the other. That time in the morning is hardly a peak hour, even for the military, and logistics for aircraft landing and departing would not be so closely monitored during such low visibility hours.
2: By this assumption, might I have a guess that we will soon be taking a flight
0: to Spain? That would be correct. Captain Sirius, prepare for takeoff.
4: Right
2: Holmes, I might be of more help to you if you could at least tell me what we're tracking. Who, Watson? Who we are tracking? You mean the contents is a person.
0: Very much so, although I'm sure others would describe him as more of a monster.
2: Is he An officer in the Nazi regime?
0: No, he is the Nazi regime. (gasps) You don't mean- Adolf Hitler.
2: The plane landed in Raus, which was a place just outside Barcelona. It was almost midnight and we'd barely stepped off the aircraft when Holmes discovered that the Fuhrer had taken another plane onwards to the Canary Islands. Despite the lack of sleep, food and having my body clock turned completely upside down, I still maintained a surge of energy. Perhaps it was the shock of hearing that Hitler was alive and that he had faked his own death in his bunker in Berlin. I tried to map the series of events that had led Sherlock and I to this moment. So let me get this right. You're saying Hitler faked his own death, then took a plane to Denmark, whereby he took a second plane to Plain, and then another one to the Canary Islands.
0: Precisely. So
2: what about the body the Soviet soldiers discovered in Hitler's bunker?
0: Which one? There was more than one? Six dead body doubles of Hitler were retrieved from that bunker. Even the BBC journalist on the scene reported that Soviet soldiers had only found the empty petrol tins that were used to burn Hitler's body. But no evidence of Hitler's actual body was found that day.
2: Uh, Didn't I read that the Russian military located his body a few days
0: ago? Miraculously, yes. I remember now. Yeah, the body was burned almost to ashes. And there lies our conspiracy. How so? For a body to be burned to any kind of degree of ash, you would need a crematorium with a fire heat reaching around 3,000 degrees Celsius before it would turn to ash. There was nothing on site that resembled a furnace.
2: Well, Hitler was known to have many body doubles and his war plans were all about misdirection, so I'm not surprised. The Soviets buried the body in an undisclosed location. But I read that they kept a piece of his skull.
0: Yes, I can tell you it's not his. How can you be sure? (sighs) Because I ran tests on it. You did what? Before the Russians took it away, I posed as a German forensic scientist and managed to conduct tests on the skull piece to which I identified that the skull belonged to a woman.
2: Perhaps it was his wife, Eva Braun. After all, they were said to have committed suicide together.
0: No, it's not hers. Hitler's new bride was just 33 years of age. This skull fragment belonged to a much older woman.
2: Hmm. I must say, Holmes, I'm impressed. I never knew that you spoke German.
0: Well, I learned
2: it. Yes, yes, of course. But uh, when did you study at university? Three
0: days ago. What? Uh, but surely you couldn't... Let's stay on topic, shall we, Watson? Now, Hitler's suicide was reported on April the 30th, and although nobody was discovered, a network of tunnels from the bunker were. One tunnel led directly to Hohenzollern Dam, which is a big boulevard in Berlin, wide enough for a plane to take off. But that mysterious plane flew out of Berlin on the 28th. That's two days before the Soviets took the capital and eventually found Hitler's so-called corpse. So where is he heading? South. What makes you say that? I didn't say it. He did. What? Uh, I don't quite follow. Reading the past German newspapers, Hitler remarked more than once that if the capital was ever taken, he would head south. In fact, even a Russian newspaper quotes Stalin as saying that Hitler will head south if Germany falls. You speak Russian as well? Huh, don't tell me you learnt that three days ago as well. Don't be ridiculous. I learnt it a month ago. Now, when Hitler said South, most people assumed he meant to retreat to the south of Germany, like Munich or Heidelberg. But what if he meant South, as in South America? Okay. Any idea where? Argentina, which is exactly where we are heading now.
2: What? I thought we were going to the Canary Islands.
0: No, that's where he was. We are going to where he is. So he took another plane from the Canary Islands to Argentina? No, he took a U-boat. Do try to keep up, Watson. Well,
2: yes, I'm
0: trying. But in the last 24 hours, I've been
2: swept from one place to another. I haven't even had time to change my clothes or have a
0: decent meal or even sleep. When Germany announced its surrender, it immediately recalled all infantry, tanks, planes and submarines to surrender at the nearest port of call. Just over 40 hours ago, U-boat 530 was surrendered to the Argentine navy at Mar del Plata. The ship's captain destroyed the logbook and refused to give details about specific routes taken to Argentina. And you know this how? I heard it on this German walkie-talkie, which I retrieved from your very unconvincing Nazi spy. OK. But but why do you think
2: he's gone to Argentina? I mean, South America is vast. Why not Colombia
0: or Brazil? After the First World War, Germany was stripped of its colonial possessions all over the world, but they couldn't take away the large German colonies that had been established in Patagonia, in both Argentina and Chile, because they were in sovereign states. They weren't German colonies. They were just large German communities within Argentina and Chile. Now, those communities grew immensely from 1918 until now. The Germans then secretly started to buy land. Bariloche is a city where many Nazis own many plots of land. Bariloche? Hmm. That
2: area's a lake district, lots of mountains and forests to hide out in.
0: Indeed, and I believe Hitler to be in a place called Santa Ramon Estancia. I've never heard of it. Why there? Well, looking at the map, strategically it makes sense. This area is just across the border from Chile, making it a good escape route. And then there's Prince Bernhard. Prince Bernhard?
2: The Dutch prince and pharmaceutical mogul.
0: And Nazi sympathiser. Let's not forget that. While at university, Bernhard joined the Nazi party. He also enrolled in the Sturmabteilung. The
2: Sturmabteilung was the Nazi party's original paramilitary wing. Played a significant role in Adolf Hitler's
0: rise to power right, you are, Watson. Well, Prince Bernhard and his family own much land in Argentina, including San Ramon Estancia.
2: I'm sure now it's all over, there'll be many more Nazi
0: sympathizers uncovered. And even more that will remain hidden. Holmes and I
2: touched down in a small crop field just outside the centre of Bariloche. We pushed the plane into the dense foliage of the woods, covering it from sight. Captain Sirius insisted that he stay with the plane. Holmes and I managed to find a barn a mile ahead. At last we would finally be able to rest. As morning crept in, so did my Sleepy visibility. My eyes slowly focused to reveal Holmes sitting peacefully on a bundle of hay, smoking his pipe, while drinking what I assumed to be coffee. Good morning, Watson. Sleep well? Oh, as a matter of fact, I did.
0: Hmm, is that coffee I smell? Not exactly, no, it's matte. Eh? You care for a cup. Has it got caffeine in it? Of course. Then yes, please. Where did you get it? Mate is Argentina's local beverage. It's made from steeping dried leaves from the yerba mate tree. By chance, we happen to have taken refuge in a yerba mate plantation. So, I made it.
2: Mm. Mmm. It's very earthy. It's quite beautiful here. Peaceful.
0: Yes, not a bad place for wolves to be exiled, particularly for an old grey wolf. You think other
2: high-ranking Nazi officers have fled here too?
0: Wolves run in a pack.
2: Ah, oh, it's hard to imagine any human capable of committing the atrocities
0: Hitler has. No man starts out as a monster. They are shaped by society. Hitler was not always Hitler. When he fought in World War I, his official name was Adolf Schickelgruber. He didn't adopt the name Hitler until he was well into his 40s when he was reinventing himself as the new face of politics in Germany.
2: You know... I never thought the world would ever see another war, not after the first great war. I was just 14 years old, although the official age was 19. There were boys there as young as 12. I only served in the last 10 months of the war. I worked assisting a military doctor. That's how I got into medicine. I guess it was
0: destiny. Life is a result of choices. Every choice you make, makes you.
2: There was something in Sherlock's tone that unsettled me. It was as if he had come to some kind of definitive conclusion, but what? As we walked into Bariloche Town Square, I was immediately taken back by its architecture. It was not the typical style of Latin America, but rather a version of Germany's Bavaria. It's like they built a second home here.
0: So it would appear. Let's get something to eat, shall we?
2: Everything fell silent, like a scene from a western film, when the outlaw enters the saloon. Holmes casually led the way to a table in the corner. The waitress approached
0: us.
1: Buenos dias, caballeros.
0: Hablas aleman? Si. Sí. Excelente. Zwei tés, bitte. What did you say? I asked if she spoke German, and she does, so I ordered two teas.
2: Do you have any money for this?
0: Well, judging by our surroundings and her willingness to speak German instead of Spanish, I think they'll accept Deutschmarks.
2: And you learnt Spanish when?
0: No, come on, Watson. Everyone speaks Spanish. Besides, being German is more plausible, as we hardly blend in with the locals. Danke, John.
2: At that moment, Sherlock's face turned white. It was as if his very soul had suddenly left his body. I turned to see what had caused this reaction, and standing just six feet from me was the Nazi doctor, Josef Mengele. He was the head physician at Auschwitz concentration camp, where he performed deadly experiments on prisoners and personally selected victims for the gas chambers. Sherlock barely moved, let alone blink. I had never seen such raw emotion in my friend. It was disdain, hatred, and rage.
0: That man is singly responsible for over one million deaths. They call him the Angel of Death.
2: Now is not the time,
0: Holmes. Do you know that being gassed to death is much like drowning? Your lungs are flooded, burning within so you can't cry out. While blood pounds behind your eyes as you slowly lose consciousness, drowning is perhaps one of the most painful ways to die.
2: Mengele left the coffee shop and got into his car. Time to go, Watson. Now what? Hmm. Ever ridden sidecar? Holmes was referring to a motorcycle with a sidecar parked outside the coffee shop. We followed him to a ranch that had guards posted around it. He's got to be in here. Why else would a ranch be so heavily guarded? What's Sie here? Uh,
1: Detoner, they are with me. They are the catchers. See, Move along. Follow me.
2: Holmes and I followed the young lady to a truck standing by. We then proceeded to climb into the back and sit amongst the locals.
1: I know why you're here. You seek the devil.
0: That we do, one in particular.
1: The devil wears many faces. He's not in ranch no more, he's in hotel. Where? La Felda. The truck is taking us there. I'm housemaid at hotel, these are the caterers. There's a big event there tonight. I can sneak you in, with the kitchen staff. Gracias. De nada. I'm Catalina.
2: I'm Dr. Watson, and this...
1: Sherlock Holmes. The Argentine government only allow a few imported English magazines to our country. The Strand Magazine, one of them. I wanted to practice my English so I would read your crime-solving mysteries. I recognize you from your picture.
0: (sighs) Now there's a picture of me in the magazine? Well, the public needed a face to go with all the adventures they'd been reading about. First off, they are not adventures. They are true crime, something that should not be glamorized. Secondly, how am I to be effective in undercover detective work if you keep plastering my face everywhere? Honestly, I would be far more effective if people thought I was dead. Don't be
2: so dramatic, Holmes.
1: You must rest. It is long drive.
2: The truck pulled into the luxurious Eden Hotel just after 10 o'clock at night. This prestigious hotel was famous amongst the rich and powerful, having had kings, queens, presidents, even Albert Einstein stay here. But its most frequent guest had been Adolf Hitler. As we blended into the catering team, Catalina ushered us through the kitchen area. Come, this way. As we followed her up the staircase, we passed various pictures on the wall, many of which featured Adolf Hitler. We turned down a long hallway that eventually led to a wide-open view of a grand ballroom below us. God grief! I couldn't believe my eyes. The sight below us depicted a typical Nazi rally that was often seen in Berlin at the beginning of the war. Everyone was wearing their Nazi uniforms, saluting to one another while Nazi flags and banners decorated the hall. Are you seeing this, Holmes?
0: I'm afraid so. Where did they all come from? There are many high-ranking officers here. Look, Martin Bormann, the Nazi Party Chancellor, Gestapo Chief Walter Rauf, Death Camp Commander Franz Stangl.
2: And they have all come here for what? A a, a dinner event with Hitler?
0: No man burdens his mind with small matters unless he has some very good reason for doing so. So why? Hitler fought in World War I and despite being badly wounded, he fought on in the trenches. This tells us he will fight to the end. Germany's surrender was not welcomed by most of its people, especially Hitler. So he regrouped and returned to Munich, where he set on a path that eventually led him to become the leader of the Nazi party, igniting World War II and thus began the rise of the Third Reich. This brings us to the present. After the fall of Berlin, he escapes, he regroups and builds. A Fourth Reich? What are we going to do? Catalina, which room in this hotel is never cleaned by housekeeping?
1: Uh, room three, one one is the next floor up.
0: That's where he'll be. Leave this hotel, go home. But I... Do as he says, be safe. Come, Watson, the game is afoot.
2: As we turned the corner of the corridor, we stopped abruptly in front of the door 313. My heart was pounding through my chest. Sherlock, on the other hand, looked calm, collective, composed. His hand extended to the doorknob, and time stood still for a brief moment. The door opened slowly and a shadowy figure of a man stood with his back towards us with his arched shoulders drenched in a long leather coat and his black hair swept to one side. His face slowly turned towards us. His trademark moustache became visible. It was him!
1: Heil Hitler. Moriarty.
2: (gasps) It can't be!
1: Oh, but it is, Dr. Watson.
2: You're Hitler?
1: He's a Hitler, one of many. You're one of his doubles? No, I'm not one of his lookalikes. They have served their purpose. I was chosen to lead. When Hitler's health declined, he elected me as his successor. Adolf Schickelgruber died during the war, but his alter ego, Hitler, lived on. It matters not who wears the face. What matters is his vision. For Hitler is not a man, it is a symbol, a symbol for a new world. Spoken like a true Nazi.
0: Holmes, look out! Ah! Holmes, you're shot! He's getting away, Watson. Go!
2: I chased him down the emergency staircase and before I knew it, I found myself running into the woods through the back of the hotel. (sighs) Suddenly the trees disappeared and I came to a clearing. It was a dead end. A sheer drop over a cliff face into a waterfall and down to a rocky below. I glanced from left to right, trying to find Moriarty. It was as if he had vanished into thin air.
1: (sighs) But then... Can't you see what we're trying to do here, Dr. Watson? Life's natural order is disorder. You're a victim of your own mind, Moriarty. For great change there must be sacrifice. Survive the rain and use it to grow this would
2: be the last time I would ever see Moriarty He raised his revolver aiming it directly towards me I always knew that this dangerous lifestyle would eventually lead to a dramatic ending It happened so quickly as his finger began to squeeze the trigger from out of nowhere Sherlock dived into Moriarty him back over the cliff edge <laughs> Before my eyes, he disappeared over the cliff, down through the waterfall. My friend, my dear friend, Sherlock Holmes was gone. He had jumped on Moriarty with enough force to push him back over the cliff face, knowing that he too would also fall to his demise. He had done this to save my life. They say that genius, has an infinite capacity for taking pain. And Sherlock certainly had his own demons to bear. He was, I take it, the most perfect reasoning and observing machine that the world had ever seen. And now that was gone. The gray sky of London brought much comfort to me. It had taken us three days to arrive as Captain Sirius stopped to refuel at various destinations along the way. As I walked across the tarmac, I spotted a familiar face waiting for me.
3: Good to see you again, Dr. Watson.
2: Inspector Lestrade!
3: I have to admit it, old chap. You've looked better.
2: (laughs) Yes, it's been quite the journey. No Sherlock. No Sherlock. As Lestrade turned into Baker Street, I once again saw the black and green Rolls-Royce that had led to the beginnings of this case. The car was empty. I assumed that Walter Thompson was inside waiting for me. As I watched Inspector Lestrade drive away into the distance, it occurred to me that without Sherlock's presence here, he would not be visiting this address again. I walked into the living room and was immediately greeted by Detective Thompson, but our pleasantries were soon disturbed by a resonant, powerful tone that came from across the room.
1: Well, is he dead?
2: There, seated in Sherlock's leather chair, was none other than Winston Churchill. His voice was raspy. A stammer and a lisp often marred many of his speeches. His appearance? Unattractive. A snub nose and a jutting lower lip made him look like a bulldog, short and fat. He was also stoop-shouldered. Yet Churchill probably became the greatest orator of
1: our time. Well, is Hitler dead? Yes, he is, Prime Minister. Did he die of suicide, like the papers say? Does it matter? No, I don't suppose it does. Well, that will remain the official story. Thank you for your service, that will be all. And just like that,
2: he left. Much time had passed since the events in Argentina. Although my environment was still pretty much dominated by memoirs of Sherlock Holmes, I had grieved and began a new normal.
1: There you go. Here's this morning's paper.
2: Oh, thank you.
0: I'll make us some breakfast.
2: As I scanned the newspaper, a small article on the second page immediately caught my attention. It was a story on Auschwitz Nazi doctor Josef Mengele. Since the war, many Nazis had been tracked down and brought to justice at the Nuremberg Trials. However, Mengele had managed to avoid capture and since settled in Brazil. The article read that Mengele had died while swimming in the sea. He had accidentally drowned. And just then, Mrs Hudson entered the room. This
1: package just arrived for
4: you.
2: Oh, really? There was no postage stamp on the package, so it must have been hand-delivered. As I tore through the brown paper packing, a sight that I thought I would never see again emerged. It was Sherlock's pipe. Suddenly, it all came together. I started to remember some of the subtle things Holmes had said in our previous conversations.
0: Drowning Drowning is perhaps one of the most most painful painful ways to die. die.
2: Mengele's death was no accident, it was retribution. And Holmes can do this, because it was him that said... Honest,
0: Honest. I would be be far far more effective if people people thought I was was
2: dead. dead. I guess death teaches us things about life in a way that life never could.